0: The principles that Bud Williams brought to the forefront of our livestock industry have motivated many ranchers to learn and adopt these practices in their own operations. And today, we talk with Steve Cody, who took these principles and applied them with range riders in the large grazing allotments of the West.
1: That is one of the key things that stockmanship rests upon, Mm -hmm. is that you've got to get your cattle calm. We're
0: specifically focusing today on moving a herd. No matter your size of operation, the most important part is how they get started. Cattle don't care where they are. They care how they're brought into it. Plus, we'll talk through what we can be doing during the winter months to help train cattle to move, herd quitters, and, and... My problem is
1: I can't get them in the corral
0: gate. How can we make that approach and entry into the corrals happen without losing your marriage? Today, join us as Steve Cody is my guest on the Working Ranch Radio Show. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you with us on our program today. Man, oh man, we have got a lot to cover. Steve Cody is my guest, as I said there in the opening, as we're going to be hitting just a tip of the iceberg on stockmanship here today. By no means are we going to get into it all, but we're going to focus on just a few things specifically on getting it really evolved essentially with we were going to start with how do you get a cattle herd started? Well, we kind of have to back up a little bit uh, in front of that, and we're going to go through that process. talking about uh, that in terms and in addition to how you deal with herd quitters how about approaching the corrals now we have all been in stressful situations on that just a lot of things here steve has a a wealth of information working uh, for several years with many range riders out in the west on these big allotments and teaching those range riders some of these stockmanship skills based off the principles of bud williams and it's uh he's like i said we're just going to get a tip of it here today but i think you'll find it very very useful and i look forward to our conversation here later in our program with mr steve cody right now let's thank our sponsors of the working ranch radio show vitalix livestock is our livelihood tubs are our expertise vitalix the true blue tub find out more at vitalix.com and allflex cattle identification record keeping should be easy and now you can tie your visual tag your eid tag and your genetic data to one management number with the allflex match sets find out more at allflexusa.com inherit select from zoetas providing commercial cow calf producers with genetic insights to make replacement female selection and breeding decisions you can find out more at their website and inheritprogress.com and the american Gelvie association a highly fertile moderately framed cow that raises high performing calves even in tough environments galvy cows efficient use of resources make her the picture of sustainability in today's modern beef industry find out more at gelvey.org and tank toad your remote water monitoring system all from the convenience of your phone it's what we use here on the x-ring ranch if you want to find out more you can call them at 801-252-6135 or their website at tanktoad.com well right now let's check in with the captain timelburn publisher and editor of working ranch magazine for this week's edition of tim's two
2: cents Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch, Radioland. Cute comment about my four megabyte brain, Justin. Yes, it is actually on Windows 95 operating system, which is I trust it. So I'll go with it, folks. You need to go back and listen to episode 123, The Global Beef Supply with Brett Stewart. He is with Global Trends, And I got to tell you, I learned more about where we're at in the this industry how great the next several years looks this is a very positive episode episode 123 go back into the podcast archive and share it tell everybody you know in the cow business that they need to hear this because it really puts a lot of things in perspective i know everything there is to know about the cow business and even i learned some really good stuff in episode 123 back to you justin
0: all right, thanks, Captain. And yeah, you bet, folks. You know, you can go back and listen to it, like I was saying just a few moments ago. Our podcast site is workingranchradio.com or search us out, any podcast provider that's out there as well. You will find us. Give it a thumbs up as well. Share it out there. Great, a lot of information out there, not only in that program, but even in today's program. We've had some other great ones as well. It, the good resources for you. Be sure to share what you find. That's also helpful for us as well. Let us know what you like out there so that we can continue to bring you good programs here on the working ranch radio show stay with us we're going to get into our featured interview on stockmanship with Steve Cody when we return here on the working ranch radio show
3: every year you pick your replacement heifers some become profitable cows others disappoint how can you make more reliable selections genetic testing Commercial cow-calf producers like you are using Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy to use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding and marketing decisions. Request a call from inheritprogress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started.
0: And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we head into our featured interview here for today. And my guest is Steve Cody, who wrote the book entitled Manual of Stockmanship. Now, we're not here necessarily today to promote the book. However, it is a valuable asset that I would encourage uh, if you're a stockman out there that would uh, it's a tremendous resource. We'll we'll talk about that later on. But the thrust of this uh, concept here today and visiting with Steve is for him to share some of the things that he has learned over the years in working with range riders out in the west he is out of arco idaho and had a career in soil conservation service now you say well how does soil conservation service meld and mix with stockmanship well it started off early on when there was a lot of pressure on some of these big ranges to get cattle moved off and if the outfits that had these big allotments couldn't figure out a way to manage these cattle correctly so that was not overgrazing and various things of that nature then there was going to be some repercussions in that so that's kind of where that thing started so steve from that basis let's talk about how that began for you and attending those meetings and seeing the pressure that was put on ranchers and the fact that they needed to make some changes in the stockmanship and handling their herds on these big allotments
1: when i went to some of the meetings i realized that that the problem wasn't really on the land uh it wasn't too many cattle it wasn't them it wasn't the management so much as they hired contract riders and they had day riders and association riders and such and this was on about five or six allotments and we had some meetings and i did some uh took a look at the range with it with our area range conservation i was i was working with uh, soil conservation or natural resources at the time and uh we went to some of their meetings between the BLM and the forest service and such. And I started to realize that they could get much better. They could have more cattle and much better uh, conditions on the land if they had better control of the cattle and, and building more fences wasn't really an option for a number of reasons. Cost is one, but environmental considerations and environmental concerns from, I won't call them environmental groups, mm-hmm. they aren't, but they wanted cattle off the land. and. And anyway, so this uh, friend of ours, a lady uh, who has a ranch in Blackfoot called me up and said, I know what you guys are trying to do with your cattle and and uh, Bud Williams is going to be here in Blackfoot. And so I went to his, uh, well, it was, I think it was just a one day meeting and, and I asked him and I said, uh, you know, you said before that you can take a herd of cattle and bring them together and put them where you want them. And I started after looking at the range, I realized it wasn't too little forage. It was that the cattle were grazing the bottoms more than the tops. And then the forester BLM would move them on. So they skipped to see a feed, which isn't good for the upland uh, soils and forage. And it isn't good for the bottoms. And so how do we reverse that or change that? And so I asked him those questions and he told me. And then I went out and I I tried it because there's rangeland and associations all around. And we found out that you can control riparian loafers, you can keep a herd together, uh, which means you can manage and control a grazing plan. And we had Alan Savory come up and help us uh, with that. He took a look at the land and recommended different things and showed us what to look for. And then uh, the two of us combined, a friend of mine and myself, we combined the stockmanship with planned grazing and holistic management and of course collaborative meetings and um, so we started to realize that this was a really powerful range tool we had the society for range management president come Mm -hmm. out and uh and take a look and, and they realized how powerful a tool this was and so my bosses found out about that and they said well with the conservation district boards which every county has one that riparian areas and riparian area condition was a really big concern and so they said well go home and uh, you know i couldn't do this at work it's too busy and they said just go home and write a book on it and that that's as a result i wrote a book in 2004 and i wrote it with some haste and brevity because um it was an immediate need for range riders and so uh, after we implemented this and I trained a rider that they had hired things were going really really well and the force was really pleased about the riparian air condition the cattle looked good and a lot of times it's tempting for an association to kind of stall out in an area as long as there's feed but we didn't have to they grazed an even fairly even proportion of feed and the riparian areas looked really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well Steve as we you've talked a little bit about how you got started on this and I'm going to assume for, for most people's sake that are listening here that they're going to value the benefits of good stockmanship. So uh, we'll not go into it because I know in in your book and a lot of this, there's, there's that element that needs to be gone through as people need to understand is if you're doing this, this is, this is what you're going to, you're going to reduce stress, uh, sickness, disease, and those kinds of things. So we're going to assume people are already at that plane in their thinking. And so let's start with one of the topics is, You and I were putting this together, and this is something that really for a lot of folks, uh, and as you were mentioning before, really a lot of your work was centered around some very large allotments and uh, herds that were very large, big open country. But at the same time, there's elements that can work with no matter the size of cattle. So let's start with the topic first of starting cattle, because really when it comes to moving cattle, the thing that has to happen is starting. So, so that is to you is one of the essential things in understanding this t- from the very beginning. So let's start on that first and your thoughts on getting cattle started correctly.
1: If we could get ranchers to work their cattle over the winter, and work their cows and work the calves just a little bit and make it hugely uh, easier upon the riders but that doesn't happen very commonly so but if if you've got your own herd and, and private range or whatever or you run it's uh with an association it's really good to get those cattle working really well so and that that is one of the key things uh, that stockmanship rests upon Mm -hmm. is that you've got to get your cattle calm and then when you get them calm and trusting people then these techniques uh, that I'll call bud williams techniques then they really work well
0: yeah a quick question here on that I don't want to interrupt you here but I but at the same time you said as for for if ranchers would spend some time working with their cattle in the winter time it could help some of the range activities that need to take place in the summer months real quick what is that what what are you saying we need to do as ranchers in the winter time
1: well when you got your cattle and they're not eating or they're not doing anything anything else is take the time to go around and make sure that they take pressure well and by taking pressure well means that when you say pressure into their side at a forward angle they should walk forward and they should do it calmly and responsively. uh if you pressure sharp at a sharper angle from behind. They ought to move forward a little bit quicker. Uh, if you're driving a cow, you go zigzag back and forth, and you can do this with individuals or individual, you know, small bunches uh, during the winter time. Then uh, make sure that they they do all the things that you're going to need them to do on the range, which is, you know, they need to turn when you go out wide to the left or wide to the right. They need to speed up when you when you go a little bit quicker. You know, kind of get get going. When you get up, they should get up and go. When you pressure more, they should speed up. When you relax a little bit more, they should slow down. Mm -hmm. When you go up the size of a herd, which some people do to turn them, which is not the thing to do, then what happens... They, they ought to uh, slow and stop as you go by them. As you get past their shoulder, they ought to slow down. And then uh, as they slow and stop, then let them rest for a moment, soak on that, so to speak. And then I go right back down the size. And you can do that with two riders if you want to. And okay. this is really handy for getting cows uh, herd downhill or uphill. Uh, and so you can get all your animals calm if you got really high headed ones and you really need to work those uh, so that they trust people. And now, oftentimes those animals be some of the better ones ones to work. So a lot of people didn't understand what Bud Williams meant by get your cattle working for you. It was a concept and for myself too. But it's just basically getting animals to trust you. So you and you use the principles the same as handling horses and a lot of different animals is that you need to start your animals calmly. If, if they're not calm, they're not gonna learn a thing. And so you need to use the basic principles that when you pressure an animal and it does what you want, then you need to stop pressuring. And that's what they work for. And they'll do that all their lives, same as a horse. And sometimes it just takes quiet persistence. If you got cattle that's a hot day or really cold bedgrounds or whatever, they don't wanna get up, You can you pressure and you just continue. There's no force, there's no making cattle do anything. If you force or you make cattle do stuff they don't get it they think you're aggressive we need to make sure that all our cattle are sure that we're not aggressive mm-hmm. and that so you do things a few times okay. if they run through gates for instance um, the reason that they run through gates at whether going into a corral or from pasture to pastures uh, because the pressure of the gate is too much that with the pressure of the riders behind them is too much so the way you fix that is to make sure they take pressure better from the rider I wanted to mention too that one of the things that I do is I work the cows uh, prior to turnout to have them real calm and doing everything well, but also the calves after they calf and the calf walking around. The way cows and horses and a lot of other animals with uh, fur and hooves is it once they do something correctly you need to stop you can't pressure anymore or if you keep pressuring the animals will will think that well that wasn't the right thing to do to relieve pressure because animals cattle and horses want to relieve pressure more than anything so what you have to do is wait horse trainers will call that soak time so if you pressure a cow or a calf to go straight and it goes straight for a while then you have to stop pressuring And, and in that time it will realize that what it just did got it the relief from pressure that it just got And so then, once they do that, calmly. Then what? My next list, and this just takes minutes. Mm -hmm. If that um, is, is all pressure that once calf wants you pressure it to go and it goes, and then it's going to slow down. And as soon as you see it slowing down, then you pressure again like no you need to keep going and and they get it really quick so now you have a calf that goes and keeps going and uh, so you'll have uh, something you can put together as a herd and then uh, train them you take them out and teach them to uh, stay together and to drive at the pace that you want and you should use you know for pairs that will be slower than the yearlings perhaps but um Mm -hmm. If you'll do that, then a rider, you'll make it a herd. The reason animals aren't don't want to stay in a herd is because they've been stressed by handling within the herd. And so you want to give them the experience that, nothing bad happens anymore they don't lose their calves they don't get spun around they don't get yelled at and all that kind of stuff
0: Mm -hmm. well steve i think let's now is a good time for us to stop and take a break real quick i'm gonna have you when we come back continue answering the question of getting cattle started that was the original question but as we went into kind of a sidebar discussion about what we as ranchers can be doing in the off season of working with our cattle some very good points brought up there my guest today is steve cody folks he wrote the book manual of stockmanship and as you heard there earlier in his response where that evolved from him of him working with uh, some of the large allotments in the West working with range riders helping them to handle those cattle and and graze properly uh, knowing that they don't have the access to a lot of fencing and paddocks of th- that kind of nature nevertheless some of the practices that we're going to hear about here today or many of these if not all of them are applicable no matter what size of operation you have it's just the matter of the scale of which you want to implement it and as i said earlier uh, we're going to assume that you know and understand the value of having good stockmanship and working with your cattle Uh, today we're not going to get into some of the details of that but rather some of these practices as we're talking about here today starting cattle getting a herd to drive and so forth we're going to continue when we come back steve cody my guest stay with us you're listening to the working ranch radio show There are lots of nutrition tubs out there, but none can match the true blue commitment of Vitalix. Our tubs offer you the most concentrated nutrition at the lowest cost per day. That means more profit for your operation and improved performance for your cow herd. In fact, research shows Vitalix tubs increase feed efficiency by 20% while boosting conception rates, herd health, and weaning weights. Learn more at Vitalix.com. Vitalix, the true blue tub. and welcome back to the working ranch radio show i'm justin mills as we continue on today my guest is steve cody he wrote the book entitled manual of stockmanship and if you missed the first segment i'd encourage you to go back and listen to that he explained where that evolved from with his work in the west with some of these large allotments uh, we're working with range riders and, and stockmanship principles. Uh, he acknowledges in the front of his book uh, a lot of these are principles th- that evolved from Bud Williams, and a lot of folks would b- be familiar with him. And it's just a matter of taking some of those principles and putting them uh, into some context here in a book format. Some other folks that he acknowledges, uh, Steve acknowledges in his bo- book, would be Ed to check on horsemanship, some things there to be looking at, Alan Savory on the land, and Roger Ingram and Whit Hibbert also kind of helping out along in this. And some folks, I know that those are names that would ring a bell for a lot of folks. When you look at some of the things that we are talking about here today, Now, in the first segment, we started down the road of how do you get a herd started? And we uh, had a sidebar discussion that took most of that first segment talking about, well, before we get to that part, there's probably some things that we need to be doing with our cattle in the off season. And so that was where that first segment was at. So, Steve, let's get back into this, uh, back into starting a herd. And as you're approaching and walking up into a herd, what are some of the things that we should be looking for, the things that you're looking for as you approach a herd? in the process of knowing that you're going to be getting these cattle up and moving and starting a direction
1: well i, I work very many different herds and i don't know their background but they, they like a horse they are their past and so when i approach a herd i don't have any preconceived notions as to what i would do and I, so sometimes people beginning in this if i ask them "Well, what do you think we should do with this bunch and their answer is well it's Let's get behind them and try to bring them someplace. And and really you shouldn't do that. You should get close to the animals, see if there's high heads or if there's animals that want to take off, uh, there'll be animals that maybe don't carry her around. And so you need to get a feel. It's kind of like a horse. I mean, you don't work a colt in the round pen same way every time. I mean, you know, different colts, are all different and cattle are different too. And within the herds, there's animals of higher sensitivity and ones that are calmer. And you don't need to get rid of those higher sensitivity ones, but in the beginning, you do need to fix those. And that's a good thing to do in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So, when you approach your herd, now you shouldn't know your herd if it's, you know, your own. But the thing is, like I said, not to have any preconceived notions and let the animals watch all the time. Let the animals tell you what they need to do. Now, some herds won't turn to left. Some I've had some herds that don't want you behind them for reasons I, I don't have any idea. Why not? But, you know, so you just need to watch the animals all the time. And... Put yourself in a position that you need to, and the animals will tell you where you need to be to get them to move and, and to turn and things like that. So they're all different. Mm-hmm. So once you decide that, then what you can do is, is start working that herd. See if they'll go straight when you pressure into their sides. See if they'll uh, slow down and stop when you relax. See if they'll, when you ride up the sides or down the sides, they should slow and stop or they should speed up. So all those techniques are, are in the books. Let's say you have a, a herd that's new, or you're a range rider, or, or even a herd that y- you've been to a Bud Williams school or whatever, or a stockmanship school, and, and you've got some new knowledge. When you approach a herd uh, or animals and a head goes up in the air, that animal's telling you, if you come any closer, I'm going to take off. And so these animals you need these are the more sensitive ones in the group and oftentimes when you come across the animals even in a even in a feedlot somewhere or a, big, a small pasture they'll be on the fringe of the uh, mm-hmm. of the bunch. And so with those animals those are the ones you've got to concentrate on first and I fix those. Sometimes you can't because you don't have the knowledge on how to do that yet uh, so you can move those animals aside put them in another pen or whatever uh, for a while until you work some other animals and get some more experience. But once that head goes, say you've got a bunch of 50 or whatever it is on the range and they're together um, or fairly close together, then once that head goes up in the air, you must stop. If you keep coming, they're going to take off or do something else and everybody else will, too. And then you haven't won anything. And then you got to go get them. So once that head goes up, and this is a really old technique, actually, wildlife photographers have used it forever is that you're going to stop and maybe back up a step and wait for calmness. Once their heads go down or or once they go to grazing, then you can approach again. But your approach is important. It's got to be in straight lines. And when you approach to get closer, then what you want to do is that line should, that you're riding or walking should always take you past the animals. And then if a head goes up again, and it will, then you need to stop and do the same thing. And sometimes with some herds, it takes 20 minutes or so of doing this. And and riders say, I'm not doing nothing. Well, you're doing a whole lot because this is going to affect the animals from then on. And uh, so it's well worth the time. If you get a bad start to a herd, say you just get behind them and then yell, which some guys do, and get them to go someplace, you're not going to have a good drive. I can guarantee that. But if you get a good start and you do a few things right and few wrong things, like riding too far behind or too much behind, yelling and racing around, <clears throat> riding up the sides, mm-hmm. then you're set up for a successful day. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got a, a fairly calm herd, calm animals and they're bedded down you want to bump those animals up and i always approach them uh, and they'll let you get pretty close before they stand them as soon as they start standing up then i back off and get each animal up and ready and do that to cows and calves and they're gonna stretch and and dung and urinate and what you're doing is getting them all ready for going somewhere and then you can move cows to calves or calves to cows whatever Mm -hmm. i don't think it matters yeah so once i've got them gathered together quietly and you can ride straight lines in one way and straight lines another to get them to come together then i start the herd and i'm close enough to them then i start the herd with this little movement from me as is needed to get that herd to start drifting and once the herd gets going it, a lot of guys get excited because they're not going towards the gate well let's don't give them that at first let them choose direction but you're just deciding that they need to move. And uh, a lot of times if they're sensitive ones, a herd might trot off uh, and some animals go to the front. And in that case, what I do is, uh, and this is very important to know is the, the rider needs to, Ride right behind the lead cow so she can't see him in other words if you can't see her eyes she can't see you and so that's going to because cows want to see what's pressuring them right and they want it really bad then doing that will prompt the cow to slow and turn her head and look at you and when she does that you slow and stop maybe back up a step or two and then she's going to straighten out and probably keep on going and then i would fall back behind now when you follow cattle the lead cattle like that you need to, to go slower than they're going and keep yourself if they move you, you want to keep yourself directly behind and like i said slower than they're going that's really important and that's how i deal with animals that want to take off if you chase them they're just going to keep running mm-hmm. and then later on when the herd calms down if they're, if they're going i'm going to want to ride up the sides and they should slow. Now it takes maybe three or four times of that before they're really good at slowing and stopping. And when they get good at slowing like that, I turn around and ride back down the sides mm-hmm. and that should speed them up. Or, or if they're standing still, it should make them walk after that I'm going to start working on getting some direction control and and you want to keep them together a lot of times you, you have animals that want to uh, spread out and go this way and that way and the other thing. so you need to keep the sides tucked in and uh, then I start working on well will you turn to the left or, or turn to the right and if you want them to turn to the right for instance then you're going to ride straight straight out to the left and a lot of guys have a lot of trouble doing that mm-hmm. they want to move up and over and that's not And they say, well, she's so far away. Well, I said, she's that distance because that's where she's comfortable with you. And so if you just will go straight and you need to practice that and get good at it, not just get the cause calm, but and trusting, but to get yourself. So you're handy at doing all this stuff. then when you really need to do that, then you can Mm-hmm. And uh, then, what I do, usually do, and it varies between herds, but I want to make sure that they speed up. If I want a herd a herd's being kind of pokey, then I work the middle more. And then, you know, and, and you get maybe, sometimes you even have to pick up a little bit of a trot, but usually you don't have to go any faster than that. And get the middle, you're getting closer to lead cow when you're doing that, and get them to speed up and get them to slow down. And all this stuff is really valuable on the range, especially when you've got a steep downhill and the cows look, like that way is closed or you are going to a steep uphill
0: Mm -hmm. well steve the next step in this gather of course would be when we get to the corrals or approaching the corrals and that always seems to be a point in time that can create a lot of frustration or confusion as well uh, not only amongst the riders but with the cows and we see things kind of tune up and tense up just a little bit let's talk a little bit about taking cows into the corrals I've done some uh, schools where, like in one case, a gal
1: said, well, I just can't get those cows in the corral. They will not go in there, just stop at the gate or... You know some of them will run through the others will take off and go back and so when i started i said okay and once i started working the cattle i i was just working them in the field and those are the things that i was doing i'm getting to speed up and you want their attention on you all of them and uh, getting them to turn a little better and to slow down when i go up the sides and speed up when i go down the size in other words against the direction that they're going and she came out and tugged at my shirt she said well I, and my problem is I can't get them in the corral gate, but her idea and a lot of people's ideas is that the problem's getting them in the corral and it isn't. The problem is, is they can't take the pressure of the confinement of the corral and the gateposts uh, with your pressure also. Mm-hmm. And so you, the way I fix that is to, to make sure they're better at taking my pressure and then they'll go in the corral. Mm-hmm. And you can help them go in the corral too uh, or through a gate or whatever. Um, is they'll surround the cattle when they got them going through the gate. And that's, that's when calves start breaking back or cows too. Um, You just need to keep a straight line behind uh, and the middle person pressure and the outside uh, people guide, or you need to stop pressuring from behind and go up to the front and then pressure uh, the lead animals to go in. And that way, the rest of the bunch can see what's pressuring them and where they're going. And that makes it easier. It helps cattle get in to a crowd when you're doing that or through a gate or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I don't look at that going through the gate as a problem getting in the crowd but it's a problem taking pressure
0: so mm-hmm. steve a quick question here as you were talking about starting and driving this herd and i know we've seen the use of drones and a lot of this uh, stockmanship and to get a good visual view of that if you were a bird's eye view of what a, a herd that was started well would look like what would that look like
1: well, some people ask me about the shape of a herd and things like that, and and the way to keep them mothered up is to line them out, um, which I don't agree with. But um, a herd's going to take the shape it takes. But what you're going to see is all the animals are calm, uh, and nobody's looking at going their own direction or leaving the herd, and they're all just waiting for you. And when you prompt them to go, it's pretty easy to get them started and when you want them to slow down all you do is relax and the herd slows down. A herd that drives well will do all those things that I was talking about They sh- and they should go uphill and downhill. I've had some riders uh, associations with about um, I forget but maybe 1300 pairs and there's some grazing areas high plateaus in the mountains that, that never seemed hard to get used except by wildlife and so um, they wanted to get those cattle there but even 1300 association riders couldn't get them up there and so um, some of the tips are to stop driving cows into cows you know if you've got people driving them from behind you can start by working the, the middle more uh, with sharper angles and faster movements but what the key is like i said put yourself in between uh, them and where they're going And so you, you, one rider should go out and pressure the cows directly into their sides i had one herd where they were in a marshy area and they were just everyone was riding but they were trying to push the cattle from behind. Now, if your raising came from behind, uh, it's harder for the cattle to go ahead, especially up a steep hill. And this was a drive to another grazing area that usually took four hours. And they asked me, and I didn't have a horse or anything, but they asked me, "Can you?" I was just out checking the range and stuff, and. And they said, can you get these cattle up this hill? And I said, well, yeah, maybe if you guys would back off because you don't ever want to pressure cattle like you don't want riders pressure uh, from behind and then someone up at the lead pressure too. just one person pressure all the time. Or you can have people from behind pressure, but they need to be pressuring on the same line. Mm-hmm. So I got up there and the lead cow was kind of stuck. And uh, so I, I just stood there a minute like i said get acquainted and then i pressured her sharply into her side and she walked forward i mean they got to do something and uh and then you step back and that's what allows the the cow from behind uh to step forward and then you pressure it sharp and pretty soon within 45 minutes the whole herd was where they wanted them Mm -hmm. and so they were amazed at that but it's, it's not the amount of riders or Raising cane behind him is not the thing to do. And so we had another ride where it was two gals and one was a school bus driver that got injured in a wreck. And then another one was a school teacher, I think. And they really didn't have much experience, but they were great because they just did everything you told them. And we had one case where we had to pick up the herd and then drive it across a crossing and then uh, turn left and then go up a really steep hill. And this is an area they never, ever could get them to before. But I know there was a week's feed for 1,300 animals up mm-hmm. there, and there turned out to be a little more than that. And um, what I told the riders, I said, stop pressuring them from behind. We don't want to shove cows into cows. They'll just start breaking back and send one, one rider, which was me in this case. And I went out and pressured the front and got them started but before that i had sent the other two up the mountain and i said as soon as i get this lead cow to go you two ride down the sides and this is an old range too i saw it I sketched on a piece of old paper and two riders ride down the sides and that's a lot of pressure on these cattle they've got to go someplace and uh, and so they started going up the mountain they got the whole herd up the mountain. By doing that, you know, you go down mm-hmm. the size and then ride out wide and then come down and ride down again. Mm-hmm. And um, they got them up there and had a week up there There's just two people just doing the right things yeah. versus 13 yeah. that weren't right. So some of the knowing some of these range tools and knowing different ways to turn cattle and things are really valuable on the range because sometimes terrain limits what you do.
0: Yeah. Well, let's take a break here. My guest today is Steve Cody. When we come back, we're going to have one more segment with him as we are talking some of the stockmanship principles that can be applied in working with your cow herd. I I realize that in the context of many of Steve's examples from his years of working with the range riders out in the West on very, very large allotments, you might be wondering whether or not this applies to your operation. If it's much smaller, much like mine would be, I, we, we don't have a hundred thousand acre allotment here but nevertheless there's principles here and the concept of it that could be utilized no matter what size of an operation you are no doubt if you've moved cows at any point in time you've probably had come across those that want to leave the herd bunch quitters uh, herd quitters whatever you want to call them we're going to talk about that when we come back here on the working ranch radio show A sustainable ranch is one that can do more with less, and for beef producers it can start right at the herd level with a cow that's efficient with her resources and environment. And in today's modern industry, Gelvey females are the picture of sustainability. Gelvey and Balancer cattle are early maturing with maternal superiority through increased longevity, added fertility, and more pounds of calf wean per cow exposed. Adaptable versatile and sustainable all factors that have a positive impact on your bottom line gelvey influenced females the smart reliable and profitable maternal choice for achieving sustainability in today's modern beef industry be sustainable breed gelvey And welcome back to The Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we continue on now with our guest today, Mr. Steve Cody. Uh, I keep saying his name, but if you're gonna go and look it up on the internet, you might wanna know his last name is spelled C-O-T-E. And that's a little bit different than how you'd expect, but that's how he pronounces the name. And this is one of the shows, folks, that really, even as I go back and, and I go through this, it really requires going back and listening to it again. If you go to our podcast website at workingranchradio.com, you can replay that. And uh, and I think as you replay that and kind of go through these concepts in your own mind with your own herd, some of this stuff will even make sense. Because I know we've, re- we've really covered a lot of stuff that probably has your head spinning or you're not quite understanding exactly what we're talking about. But if you have that opportunity to listen to it multiple times, I, I know it'll start to make sense for you because some of these things are extremely useful, no matter the size of operation we're talking about some of the large allotments that steve worked with over the years but nevertheless many of these principles no matter the size of herd no matter the the amount of volume of land you're running on there are principles here that you can work when we left we were talking about coming back and and visiting it with steve about working with these cattle that want to stray off from the regular herd and steve we've talked about now getting these cattle moving, approaching these krells, But nevertheless, whenever we're moving cattle, we might have one, two, or a few of these cows that want to veer off and kind of do their own thing. So let's talk about these herd quitters, these bunch quitters that we have in our herds.
1: Well, I tell you, if I I was out with fairly, you know, Calm cattle, the kind most people have. Um, they'll have some, perhaps a few high headed ones. And sometimes you get a herd that they're not high headed, but they're bugged. They don't want to stay with their herd when the rider is around. And so, what I, and this is just one approach, there's others. I'll work the cattle into, if say, they're scattered over a couple hundred acres and you have a couple hundred head. Then what I'll do is I'll be working them together and start bunches here and bunches there and then drive, bring them all together. And then I'll let them settle. And uh, what I want to find out is which ones are going to be the problem. And problems I consider are ones that hide and hang back, ones that take rabbit trails to the left or to the right, but an awful lot of of times you'll have animals that take off in the lead. I had one guy who worked for the padlock, he said, you know, I got 400 pairs to myself and some go to the left and some go to the right when I'm driving, some hang back and some take off in the lead. Mm -hmm. I can't, and I said, yeah, no, you can't be four places at once. So I place a high emphasis on fixing those animals first. Otherwise, you can't control where they go. If the lead cow decides and the others follow that she's going to go this way, uh, you're, you're going to be fighting the whole herd to, all the way there. Wh- what you're trying to do is build trust with those animals so that they start to experience that you know nothing bad happens in the herd anymore. There's no yelling. There's no getting hit with rocks or losing your calf, etc. And so what I'll do is uh, get the herd together and I start. I love to. I'd like to start herds from the front, especially early on because, like I said, they can see. Where they're going and uh, and what's pressure, which is me. So uh, I'll start the herd out, and uh, then I'll let them get off maybe a couple hundred yards, a quarter mile, and then I'll ride up the sides, and they should all slow and stop. And then I'll, I'll just cut straight across and, and cut maybe 20 percent of the herd off. Now you're going to get some good ones, but you get all the bad ones. They're usually the sensitive ones that are in the lead, and then I will take those animals away uh, or let them go. And basically now what I've got is just a kind of miniature of what the herd is. There'll be some calmer ones, some in between, and some that just want to, they don't care. You're there. They just want to go someplace. And uh, so what I'll do is uh, the idea of this is once they're calm, uh, they'll start thinking back about the herd, which is only natural for the cattle, but we take away that herd instinct by stressing them. And so I'll, I'll drop off animals. I'll, I'll start maybe drifting some and any animal that that stops and looks back at the herd, I'll let them go back or even encourage them a little bit to the herd. And then I'll keep following them and I'll give every animal, every opportunity to go back in. And most most of them will in a fairly short period of time, but some won't. Mm -hmm. They've got four that still are on the march someplace else. Then what I'll do is I'll follow them, like I talked about, directly behind the lead animal. And eventually, they're going to slow down and stop to try to see you. And when they do, you know, like I said, you slow, you slow and stop too. And then they'll probably start out again and you re- just repeat that, like I called the lost wallet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then that, what I'll do is if I, if I can ride up to sides and get them to slow and stop, I'll just relax. And I'll just keep doing that to get closer and closer to the herd. And, and when they'll start looking back at the herd. And, and then I'll follow, once they start doing that, I will follow them back into the herd until they get to the perimeter. And then I'll get back and off. And that almost 100% of the time will fix the munch quitters. And you kind of do that with riparian loafers too, which are a huge problems. So mm-hmm. the idea with the sensitive ones is to like with riparian loafers, you want to make leaving easy. And some riders say, well, you know, I'm going to make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard and hanging around the riparian areas is the wrong thing. But cows don't look at it that way. They felt secure there at once, even if it was a little bit. And so when you, when you, you know, rush them off that riparian area, they're going to come right back to it. In fact, some of them will come right back to the same shrub they were standing mm-hmm. when you found them. So that's a, a key thing. But, you've got to fix those animals if you want a herd to stay someplace those real sensitive ones if they haven't been fixed they'll be the ones that drift and graze and drift and graze and pretty soon you've got You know, you thought you had 13 animals, 100 animals there, and then you come back the next morning and they're gone. Mm -hmm. And they will, I've watched herds do this a number of times and it'll be the lead. They'll start drifting and grazing and drifting and grazing and they get some that are inclined to go with them and then the rest will go with them eventually. But if you work a herd fairly well, then, you know, about half the herd will stay where you put them. You know, they just, cattle don't care where they are. They care how they're brought into it. And that's something riders need to remember. there's some people that teach well. You, you bring one herd coming into another herd, and that combined movement will will slow and stop them. And that that is not true. So it's the way they're brought in there. And so if you start them right and get them doing everything well, if there's something that a herd won't do well, let's say it's turned to left for some reason, cattle won't do. I don't know. Something bad happened to when they turned to left. I have no idea what happened. But anyway, if there's something that they won't do calmly and responsibly, I work with that herd until it does before I expect them to stay where I put them. Now, if you're a beginning rider and you, you've got, you want a herd to stay together and stay where you put them, there's times I just tell them, well, get rid of them. You got... 10 animals that are going to screw up your whole uh range plan here and so we've got to get get rid of those animals and usually by the time you know a lot of times i ride with them and and uh by the time we're moving them away their minds are changing and they're getting calmer and they'll go back to their herd so yeah. but if they're really bad you know sometimes you want to put them someplace else where they won't screw up and influence the main herd mm-hmm. because the, the excitement and uh from just some animals spreads throughout the whole herd, so you've gotta gotta stop that. And sometimes at feedlots, what I'll do is I see some real high-headed ones. And uh, you're trying to train some people, or, or even if you're not training, but you're learning yourself, then what I'll give those animals is a timeout and put them in another corral, and I, and then you can work those calm animals and see how these techniques work, etc. And so, basically, you're just trying to change the experiences of those mm-hmm. uh, spooky cows that nothing bad that you're not aggressive, and nothing bad happens when you go through a gate or you or you uh, you move or turn or whatever it is.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, Steve, I think for this time around that we're going to call her call her good for now but i look forward to our next conversation i appreciate you joining us here today all right. Sure. Welcome. And again, my guest today, Mr. Steve Cody, joining us here to talk on some of the stockmanship principles that he has put into place and utilized for many years on uh, the ranges, uh, working with range writers across the West. A great book that we've talked about here today, building off the principles that Bud Williams established many years ago, as he's done done a great job of putting it in this book type situation where uh, it's easy to read, easy to see some of the diagrams out there. If you would like more information now, i I mentioned a bit ago, his last name is spelled uh, C-O-T-E. It's pronounced Cody, but it's spelled C-O-T-E. So if you wanna go to his website, it's Cody Stockmanship, C-O-T-E stockmanship.com, and you can find more information about Steve. His book is available through his website, or if you just search online anywhere, you'll find different places that you can buy it as well. Now, keep in mind, there are two editions that are available out there. The first edition that he referred to earlier on doesn't have quite as much in it as the second edition, which would be have a 2019 date on it. So if you're wanting the full book on that, that is the 2019 version. And like he told me, he's not out here to get rich on book sales. He really just values the concept of educating ranchers on good stockmanship principles and and seeing them utilize what he has learned, what he has been able to implement uh, in his work over the many, many years. So we will be having Steve back on here on the show later on in about a month or so as we will be going over some of the fall type activities that we do with our cattle such as weaning and so forth so be sure to be tuning in on that we'll let you know when that is coming up here when we have Steve back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well stay with us coming up next meteorologist Don Day steps in as we take a look at our long-term weather. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you as we now take a look at our long-term weather today, brought to you by Allflex. Cattle identification and record keeping should be easy, and now you can tie your visual tag, your EID tag, and your genetic data to one management number with the Allflex Match Sets. To find out more, go to their website at allflexusa.com. And joining us now, as he does each and every week, is meteorologist Don Day. And uh, Don, you and I were joking just before we went on air we've seen some so this heat of the summer is now among us and it's been in kind of the southwest part of the country and we're going to talk about where that's going to be moving here just a bit but i kind of joked a little bit about we're only five months from potentially the coldest day of the winter
3: (laughs) that's right so if you're tired of the heat just keep in mind the cold's really not that
0: far away yeah winter's coming get those snow shovels right now get them you can probably get them cheap right now so anyways uh you said that the we've been following along and the heat has really been in the south and the and definitely the southwestern part of the country but it's gonna uh, shift a bit east now with the high moving to the east a bit so where's that going to be centered at
3: Yeah, so we have really seen a stubborn high-pressure ridge in the southwestern United States over Arizona, Mexico, and and New Mexico, and really wanting to just stay in the Four Corners region. That's why we've had this prolonged heat wave in the far west and southwest. But something important is going to happen here over the next 7 to 10 days is that high-pressure center is going to get realigned. There's kind of a readjustment going on in the jet stream pattern that's going to send the center of high-pressure Right over, it looks like Oklahoma, parts of northeast Texas and eastern Kansas. And that's going to be happening here over the next week. And what that will do is it will take the core of the hottest temperatures, get it out of the southwestern United States. And so you're going to be hearing about the hotter temperatures relative to average in that part of the country, part of the central and southern plains. This means some easing of the heat in Arizona California, Nevada, Utah, uh, along into the Pacific Northwest that's been the hottest. Um, So they're going to get some relief. They're also going to get, especially in the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Western Colorado, they're going to get into some better rain chances as well. So that'll help cool things off. But for those folks... Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, uh, the central and southern plains, the heat is on Mm -hmm. and a lot of humidity as well.
0: What's the length of that stay going to happen? I mean, you say we're we're seeing a little bit of a shift in in the weather pattern a bit. So is that going to be a prolonged thing through the month of August or where's that going to, how's that, what do you anticipate to see through August?
3: Well, what I think will happen is about after, let's say about 10 days, the high is going to start to migrate back to the west again and go back into the desert southwest so it will likely return the heat again to those areas that is something we tend to see though when we get into the mature part of summer we tend to see a high where we've been seeing a high and we do tend to see it migrate east migrate west so it's going to be pretty intense for about a week and a half into those southern plains central plains areas then shift back to the southwest again as we get to the middle to the end of august and you know what by then it's september Mm -hmm. and then we're starting to see you know that high not as strong and starting to weaken so the next four weeks here is basically summer peak
0: yeah yeah so how much moisture is in that because we've talked here on the show quite a bit about the monsoon we're in the monsoon season so with that uh in mind the high moving east and back and forth how much moisture is going to be involved in that
3: Well, with this high moving east, it's going to be able to tap into deeper moisture coming out of Central America, Mexico, and also pull some moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico and bring it up to the north. And then what will happen is, remember, going back to weather 101, the air around a high pressure system moves clockwise. So that clockwise rotation will bring that higher humidity air Through the desert southwest, through the central Rockies, then into the central plains and into the Corn Belt area. We call this the ring of fire, Mm -hmm. where you get afternoon and evening thunderstorms in the heat of the day around that high. And you can actually get quite a bit of rain in that ring. What will happen is that rain will kind of vacillate north and southeast and west a little bit. So if you're directly under the high, you're not going to get any rain. But around the edges of the high, it will be rainy. And So I do think the Corn Belt, I do think parts of the northern plains, parts of the central Rockies and the Southwest United States, even though this high is still around, will start to see some good rain chance.
0: All right. Well, Don, thanks for joining us. I know you're on the road. Appreciate you taking the time here today thanks for having me and again that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long term weather you can find him on his video podcast each and every day if you want to get to that podcast site you can go to his website at dayweather.com it's a good way to get each and every day started to see what the weather is looking like across the country and how it's going to affect your particular area our weather today brought to you by AllFlex to find out more go to their website at allflexusa.com well stay with us coming up we'll put a wrap on this week's show when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, before we head out, I just want to remind you you know, if you hear something on the show and you would like us to cover it with a little bit more in depth, have a question on that, or you have an idea for a show topic you'd like us to go over, you know, we want to hear from you. And don't be afraid to send me a text or an email. We'll do what we can for you. My email address is justin.workingranchgmail.com, or my text is 307 363 cows. Quick thanks to our sponsors here today Vitalex, All Flex, Inherit Select for Zoetis, the American Galvey Association, and Tank Tote. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. Be sure to join us at the same time, same place next week, or on your favorite podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.